pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Each and every word inspired of you and written for our edification, that we might grow in faith and in trust in you. We thank you for the story of the church expanding into Macedonia, into Greece. And we thank you for these particular vignettes that you have seen fit to preserve for us, that our hearts might be encouraged as we consider them together. Refresh us then today in this amazing love, in this incredible grace that you continue to show to those who will cry out to you for help. Be with us, Spirit of God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Many of us are reluctant to ask for help. We are hesitant to say, I need a hand with something, because we are concerned that in so doing, we are going to reveal that we in fact do have a need. We are going to betray something about ourselves. Perhaps that we are weak or that we are impoverished, that we have some incompetence about a project or about a need that we have, that we're incapable of doing something. Now, I know that perhaps the characterization is that men are particularly prone to this lack of desire to ask for help, but in any case, whether that be true or not, the reality is we are often hesitant to ask for help. From a very early age, our children learn to say to us as we try to help them with something, they learn to say to us, no, I can do that all by myself. I don't need your help. And, and that's good, right? There is a level of maturity to that. We're glad when our children begin to learn certain things and they begin to be able to do certain things on their own because that way they, can, you know, they don't need help and that way uh, they can perhaps help somebody else as they become competent in an area. That's fine. It is, it is good to grow and to be able to do certain things as long as, as long as pride doesn't accompany that. As long as a sense of inappropriate independence, say, saying I can do things all by myself and I don't need other people, doesn't grow up. As long as we remember the God who has enabled us to do those things who has given us minds and hearts and hands to be able to accomplish the things that we accomplish. As long as we remember that it is in him that we live and we move and, our ha and we have our being. As long as we remember that every beat of our heart, every breath that we take is in utter and complete dependence on him. Today's passage is about help and who needs it. Last week, one of the things that I pointed out as we were transitioning them between uh, Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 16 is that at the core or, or at the heart of the missionary impulse is this desire inside of us, this concern that exists inside of us for the welfare of others. And that is implanted into us by the Spirit of God. As the Spirit of God works in our hearts, individually and corporately, together as a church, there is, is a concern for the well-being of other people. And in Acts 16, as it continues on, we see this entire thing continued, this concern for other people. We see a cry for help that comes out. 
We are introduced to the people who need help, and then we see the help that is provided to those who are helpless. And I want to look at this passage then today in that order. So beginning then with the cry for help. So the recently formed mission team of Paul and Silas and now Timothy, who, was order, who was, became part of the team as they were moving along, they are continuing to travel throughout Turkey, and probably from the eastern part of Turkey, working their way on the southern part of Turkey over to the western uh, part of Turkey. Sorry, I know that goes this way um, from your perspective. It looks like when we read about what Paul is saying here, that they had an intention that as they moved westward, they would get towards the coast and they would loop up the coast and come back down around the other side. And as they were doing this in the initial phase of it, they were visiting the churches that they had already established. And clearly as they continue it, they are looking for new opportunities, new cities, new towns, new places, people who haven't heard the gospel where they can proclaim this good news. Now, uh, one note, just to uh, note something that we mentioned last week, somewhere along the way in that journey, Luke has joined them. In verse 10, Luke, our author, has joined them. We, we see a shift to the first person plural. So, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Luke joins, and the narrative goes to first-person plural as he joins with Paul and with Silas and with Timothy. And then these introductory verses, 6 through 10, give us a fascinating picture of how to decide where you're going to go as a missionary and whom you're going to serve. What's the right place? Who are the right people? And we read here that the Spirit of God prevents them from going to certain places. And that's an interesting phraseology. Specifically, it prevents them from taking that turn north and trying to proceed the other way back across Turkey. How did the Spirit communicate this to them? How did they know that this is the Spirit of God preventing us from going that direction? Perhaps it was audible. Perhaps it was a vision of some sort by which the Spirit communicated, don't go that way. Maybe through Silas. Silas was a prophet. We read about him as a prophet at the end of Acts chapter 15. And maybe it was through a prophecy that Silas was able to say, the Lord is saying we shouldn't go this direction. But maybe it was just circumstances. Maybe the roads were closed. Maybe there was turmoil of some sort in that area. We don't know exactly how it took place. We often read in Paul's letters of various plans and intentions that he has to visit this place or to visit that place. And we see that sometimes a variety of things can happen. It can actually take place. He does have opportunity to visit it. Sometimes he gets delayed. Sometimes he's hindered and he never is able to get to that place at all. And interestingly, perhaps confusingly to us, sometimes that is attributed to the spirit of God, as it is in this particular section, and other times it is Satan hindering them from going to a particular place. The picture that we get is that Paul and companions are doing their planning, they're doing what they can to figure out, is this the best place for us to go, while God, in fact, is directing their steps. Sometimes we can imagine 
that missionaries have this crystal clear sense of their call, that missionaries are people who grew up or at some point received a Macedonian-like call to a particular place. And it would be a phrase like, I've always had in my heart the desire to preach the gospel in Russia or in the Middle East or in Africa somewhere. I will tell you this, the reality is, is that most missionaries that I've ever met, they don't actually have that. They don't actually have a sense of one particular place to which God has called them. We, think, we tend to think it's easy for them. They know where God called them, whereas we kind of have to muddle and muck our way through life trying to figure out what the next thing to do is. For us, we had three possibilities that were set before us. If you can find any commonality to these places geographically, linguistically, or racially, congratulations. They were Guadalajara, Mexico, Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, and Kiev, Ukraine. Now, there was a commonality, but you can't see it, at least on the surface of those things. But you try to figure out. You try to figure out what you, what's your gifting, where is the inclination of your heart, what doors is God opening and closing as you explore various possibilities in this process. And that's, the, that's I think, the picture that we get of these men working together, trying to figure out, all right, let's figure out how to cover an area. Let's figure out how to cover Asia this portion of Asia with the gospel. Well, they do, in fact, receive the calling, the vision from Macedonia, a man from Greece. And I'm using some just modern geography here to help us to uh, work through these things a little bit more easily so we can envision them. So the Macedonian calling, a man from Greece, urging, come over and help us. Now, a call, help, is a compelling thing to us. We teach our children don't cry for help. Don't call for help unless you really need it. Because unless you mean it, that, that call pierces through a lot of things. So you can be busy with a conversation. You can be doing a number of things. But if you're at the beach or if you're at a pool and you hear somebody cry out, help, everything else immediately shuts off. A call for help has a way of steering us and of focusing our attention immediately in another direction. And that's a sense to which we look at this situation here with our missionaries and see a similar type of reaction on their part. This call for help cuts through the noise. Now, it says immediately we've made preparations, but it also says concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That word concluding is a word that involves and implies a deliberative process. So Paul had this vision, and they get together, and they go, is this of the Lord? Is this, is, this, is this actually what we should be doing or not? So there's some level of consideration, and then when they come together, they decide that indeed this is of the Lord. They respond to a cry for help, and they go. And this is a pattern that reverberates throughout the Scripture. The cry for help. So who needs the help? The team begins their work in Philippi, which is a city of some significance. It's a Roman city. It's a city on a major east-west highway. It is a place where apparently Roman soldiers went to retire Perhaps Paul thought that as he, as he made his landing over there, let's look for a city that may be big enough to have a synagogue. Remember that they don't have their phones. 
They can't say, Google, what's the closest synagogue in Macedonia that I can go to right now? So they're kind of, you get the impression that they're feeling their way. They're trying to figure out, is there a synagogue here? Why? Why are they doing this? Well, they're going to the Jew first and also to the Greek. They go to the people who need help. Who needs help? Well, Paul's answer to who needs help is, well, Jewish people like me, we need help. People who gather together in a synagogue, they need help, whether they be Jewish or whether they be God-fearers, proselytes in Philippi, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Now, we can't tell when we read this right here, we can't tell if this is an actual synagogue or whether perhaps there were not enough people there to make it a full synagogue, and therefore this is just a, a small group doing some things together, praying together. But the team discovers them, and they go out and they begin to preach to them the good news. And we are immediately introduced to Lydia, a successful businesswoman who is there at this gathering for prayer. She is not Jewish. She is a God-fearer. And ironically enough, she is from Thyatira which is in Turkey, in Asia. So they go over to Macedonia, God having called them there, and the first person they meet is a person from where they just were who has established a business there, who is successful enough to have a house and uh, a thriving business there, uh, and they minister to her. Who needs help? Jewish people need help. A successful businesswoman needs help. We're introduced next in the story to a slave girl, a slave girl with a spirit of divination, a pythonic spirit along the lines of the oracles of Greece, one who would declare various things and whose owners made a profit out of her spirit of divination, the things that she was able to say, the things that she was able to do or to predict. And so she is crying out the identity of these men as servants of the Most High God. No doubt she is calling that out, crying that out within her polytheistic worldview. Of all the gods that are out there, these men are servants of the Most High, the highest of them. She's a slave girl, as many have noted, who is in double bondage. She is in bondage to her owners, to her masters, and she is in bondage to this spirit of divination. Who needs help? A slave girl. She needs help. When Paul casts out the spirit, it of course leads to this reaction. When you start messing with things that involve people's money, well, you're going to get a reaction. That's a, by the way, that's a reformational theme that could come up in about three weeks. When you start messing with money, you're going to get a reaction from the people against whom you are working. And in this case, that's exactly what happens. We see this reaction, an extreme reaction, where Paul and Silas are then beaten and imprisoned. Who needs help? Well, would-be helpers now need help because would-be helpers now find themselves in the depth of a prison. 
I can imagine in the depth of this prison having been beaten and they're singing these hymns, this, you know, this great picture that we have. They're singing these hymns and they're praying. I can imagine at some point Silas kind of looking over at Paul with a wry smile on his face and saying, are you sure about that vision? <laughs> are, you, are you sure this was God's plan? This is what he had in mind because it sure doesn't seem like this at the moment uh, that we were called to come to this place. And next, of course, we're introduced to the prisoners who are listening to them as they pray and as they sing these hymns. And then we're introduced, we flash to this jailer. This jailer who is on the verge of killing himself because he knows what will happen to him as a result of losing the prisoners he was charged to keep. And Paul cries out to him, we are still here. And so this jailer comes to him with trembling and with fear before Paul and Silas and asks one of the two greatest questions that have ever been asked. Now, I say one of the two. A lot of people think this is the best question that has ever been asked. I, I, I have trouble deciding between when Jesus said, who do you say that I am, uh, and this one. Uh, what must I do to be saved? In any case, they're kind of the same thing. They get to the same idea. What must I do to be saved? And you get the impression here that it is a genuine question, that it is a question coming right from the heart with full integrity. Who needs help? Well, prisoners and a jailer need help. And in the last section of this passage, and I'm not going to deal with this in any, in any detail, 35 through 40 here at the end, the people who need help are a fledgling mission and a fledgling church that's going to exist in Philippi. So Paul doesn't reveal his Roman citizenship for his own sake. He's already been beaten. He could have revealed it at any point along the way. Paul reveals at this stage his Roman citizenship for the sake of those who are going to be left behind, for those who are going to remain in Philippi. In revealing this, what takes place is a little bit of a hedge is made around the church there, a little bit of a protective hedge by his asserting that and making the magistrates now think twice about what they're doing and how they're reacting to this gospel message. Who needs help? The answer that is being presented to us in Acts chapter 16 is that from the greatest of people, successful businesswomen, successful businessmen, from people who drive the nicest cars and live in the nicest homes, to slave girls, they need help. Blue-collar jailers need help. Prisoners need help. Whole households need help. Every single one of us needs help. Patients need help, and physicians need help. Would-be helpers, in this case, end up needing help themselves. And they're going to receive help from a jailer and no doubt from uh, someone else who has joined the team, Luke, the good physician, as Paul will refer to him in Colossians. 
All of us need the good physician, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who see their neediness, cry for help, and then finally, it is given. From the helper of the helpless, I look to the hills, my eyes look to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121, so has sung generation after generation of the helpless. That's the song we sing. Where's my help going to come from? It comes from the Lord. Perhaps Paul and Silas were singing that very hymn as they were in the midst of this prison. The help in this passage comes in several ways. In the first place, we see that God is working miraculously in this passage. He's working through the vision that is given to the missionaries. He's working through an exorcism. He's working through an earthquake in this passage. What we see miraculously is that God is ordaining, he is orchestrating, sometimes through miracles, sometimes through processes that are taking place. Providentially, he's bringing together the right people. Providentially, he's hooking up and connecting people so that the gospel can go forth. Providentially, he has taken turkey hopeful missionaries and stuck them in a prison in the innermost part of the prison for the sake of a jailer in Macedonia, a jailer in Philippi. God is miraculously and providentially working through the circumstances to provide help. Secondly, God is working through people. Let me say something that you've heard before, but it bears repeating again in this passage. God did not send an angel to Lydia or to the innermost parts of that dungeon. He didn't speak directly. He sent his people there. His people respond to the call and they go. Now, because it was a long passage, I didn't have us read other pass another passage from the Old Testament, but had I, it would have been Isaiah chapter 6. It would have been Isaiah responding to the Lord saying, here am I, send me. But that response, here am I, send me, doesn't belong just to Isaiah. It doesn't belong just to Paul and Silas and Timothy and now Luke. That response belongs on the lips of every single person who calls Jesus Lord. If you say he's the Lord, if you say he's the king, the owner, the master, the giver of your life, then it is your responsibility to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am, Lord. I'm right in this place right now. Use me. Let me be your instrument to care for the welfare of other people. Some people went, Paul, Silas, Timothy. Others, right where they were, Lydia and the Philippian jailer, right where they were, were able to respond to that call in exactly that way. The key, of course, and just to say this again, 
The key here is not so much that you are called to go somewhere overseas, although we pray that God would use you for that. The key is your willingness. Your willingness to serve. That spirit characterized these missionaries. And they are even ready to go back to jail, to go back to the prison for the sake of the jailer, to be a help to the one whom they came to help, who would otherwise be culpable. Can you imagine how that part of the conversation went? The jailer who has heard the word of the Lord from them, who now with his household has been taught a little bit more, who's been baptized, who's provided food, Paul and Silas at some point look up and say, you got to take us back to the prison. And he would say, well, how, can, how can I do this? Let it be on me, I'm imagining a conversation here. Let it be my fault. I'm not putting you back in jail. You've just shown me the way of salvation. No, no, no. We're here to serve you. We're here to care for you. Take us back to prison because that's your responsibility. And so we find them once again in the prison. But this, again, this disposition, this willingness, this anxiousness to help belongs not only to Paul and to his companion, but it immediately, by the work of the Spirit of God, passes to those who receive this message. So it immediately goes to Lydia. And she says, if you judge me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. We have pointed out over and over and over again in the Gospel of Luke how important hospitality is. Lydia responds to the Gospel and immediately Luke says what starts in her heart is the desire to care for other people, the desire to look to the welfare of others, come to my house and stay with me. And the exact same thing then happens with this unnamed Philippian jailer who does the exact same thing. He tends to their wounds. He gives them food. The Spirit of God produces in us the desire to help other people. Where can I help? That should beat inside of you. It is an indicator of the presence of the Spirit of God and of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Finally, and most importantly, the help from God in this passage is the help from God the Father in the gospel of His Son ministered to us by the Spirit through the Word of God. Lydia is listening to these men declare the Word of God, and the Spirit of God is at work. The Spirit of God is at work effectually calling her. And that's where it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to the things that were said. The Spirit of God is at work in Lydia and in her household. Her concern, God is concerned for individuals and for families, for households, and they are baptized. And economically, presumably a socially successful woman needs help and she receives it. And then finally, we come to this Philippian jailer and this great 
simplest question that can possibly be asked and the most wonderful answer. Now, to be sure, Paul and Silas had more to communicate, and they did. We read, they spoke the word of the Lord to him, verse 32. They spoke more of these words to him and to those who were in his household. They had more to say than this answer, but these simple words that are written for us right here, they capture in perhaps the shortest form possible the most glorious, the most incomprehensibly wonderful gift in its in its purest, in its most distilled form. This is 200 proof. Not diluted at all. Gospel and good news. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved you and your household. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Saved from darkness, from death, from sin, from oppression of every sort, saved from ourselves, saved from slavery to sin, to death and Satan. We are all prisoners, some literally in chains, others who do not see the chains so clearly. We are all prisoners until we are unshackled, saved to light, to life, to freedom, to joy. Verse 34, and he rejoiced along with his, his entire household that he had believed in God. I suggest to you that no matter how old you are, no matter how long you have been a Christian, that this for us is a savory, sweet word the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and our God. Who needs help? I need help. You need help. You don't need to make this complex. Don't wait. Don't try to clean yourself up. Don't try to get ready. Don't get your affairs in order. Don't try to raise bail money. Don't worry about your friends, your family. Don't worry about your business associates. Don't worry what anyone else will say. Don't worry about looking helpless. It is the key qualifier of your readiness. The Lord is your helper. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved.